Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. With me this week is Greg Karam. Greg, nothing, like, clever or interesting has happened to the Mets this week. They've just been good, so I don't have, like, a funny or sardonic opening question. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird time. I could have, like... With uh, Terry Collins off this morning to motivate, shall we say, Rafael Montero, I could yeah. have. Uh, I was like, "What could you? Who would you want? To, how could you put Terry Collins' motivation skills to good use?" We're going to talk about the Montero situation later in the show, and I don't find it particularly funny, so we're just going to skip that. Yeah. And then we're going to take you all back as we kick off episode 132 to an email from earlier in this year that I think I've referenced a few times on the pod now. We asked what our mental state is around the Mets. Basically, are we happy with this team? Well, as we record now on Thursday night, the off day, the Mets are in first place. Still by two games. The Nationals are winning, but the game's not over yet. So I, I don't have any up- standings updates for you that you already have when you listen to this show anyway. But Greg, you said in response specifically to that qu- question that there would come a time when a switch would flip for you and you'd start thinking about this team as a playoff team and would be disappointed if they didn't make it. Has that flip switch been flipped? I, I would, at this point, I'm expecting them to make the playoffs. Mm. I, I, I need like I, a dramatic I, musical cue there or something <laughs> if you say that. <laughs> the, the combination of the moves that they've made for the bats... And the remaining schedule and where they currently sit, I just, at this point, I kind of would be a little, I would be mildly surprised if they did not make the playoffs. And, uh, I, but I haven't gotten to the point where like, it's like, it's like a hard expectation, you know, like, like I'm still like on the fence a little bit, but I, I'm, I'm because you have to be because you're a Mets fan. I'm like 51%, you know, like towards towards playoffs right now. Although, you know, some of the playoff odds actually have them, you know, at, at higher numbers, like especially baseball prospectus. But um, I think it's kind of foolhardy to look at that in any one day. Because if you'd have done that a few weeks ago, you would have said, yeah, Mets should not be buyers. They should uh, just they should stand pat or be sellers at the deadline because they were at 20%. Uh, playoff odds so i don't look at playoff odds since 2007 so yeah well i yeah <laughs> well they find their way into my feed so so i alluded to this last week that i'm sort of you know the pessimist of the show so sort i of talked about how there has been bad mets baseball as long as this podcast has been a podcast and look i'm not going to stop being a sarcastic and at times completely patronizing host but my heart is open greg and my body is ready for good mets baseball and i'll tell you when the for me the switch flipped sunday night yeah i went to the game oh yeah you were there i was there with with chris mcshane and the prospect hate man and so here's the thing you know i've been to a few games this year i don't know how to go to baseball games anymore like major league games. I don't know how to do it. Cause my mindset when I walk into a baseball stadium is I am at work. 
Oh. <laughs> so you can't you can't unplug and have fun? I, I can't like I, I can't usually. Um Sunday night was a little different. There's just like a different sort of verve about the stadium. You know, sort of outside the apple, people tailgating. You know, you see all that normally on a on a weekday, a weekend game. There was just something about it, especially after Friday and Saturday. And then it was like whatever. The game was just sort of moseying along. And there was that like, what was it, eight pitches between the Granderson home run and the Duda yeah. home run where yeah. just yeah. we all collectively lost our shit. <laughs> like I'm like, I'm not a high-fiving strangers in the stands kind of guy. But it just sort of you sort of got carried along. (laughs) Like it's tough for me to sort of switch that, you know, analyst evaluator part of my brain out and just be up on my feet clapping every two strike count that Syndergaard had that night. Don't be wrong; I was still like telling everyone around me that he really should keep the fastball above Bryce Harper's hands late in the game, which he didn't do, but he threw it at ninety nine. So who cares? Yeah. (laughs) So I'm never going to completely coax that out of me it didn't help that i drove now so i can only have like one beer so i couldn't really like just kill the brain cells uh necessary for that yeah no tall boys and then i'm just like sitting there in the ninth inning i swim in the bottom of the eighth giving a standing ovation to wilmer flores <laughs> along with the rest of the stadium standing next to the prospect hate man who is also giving a standing ovation to wilmer flores wow <laughs> and it's just something about this team the only comparison i have who we always get asked this on the show like every year we get an email multiple emails what team does this team remind you of i think it's kind of you know whatever it's a it's a silly game in some ways but i think i finally figured it out when i was leaving the stadium afterwards yeah this is a 2005 team okay the the, the sort of mixture of fun sort of coming out of winter and flushing um but still sort of the frustration of not really being a good Mets team. You know, there's obvious weaknesses like there were with the 2005 team. Um, Of course, the difference is this is a lot worse National League and National League East than it was in 2005. Yeah, and there's there's more playoff spots now as well. This is all true. Um, And of course, there were just random people. So, it was really crowded. I think they announced it at like 35,000. I think that might have actually been light based on looking around the stadium. But it took me 45 minutes to get out of the parking lot. No surprise there. But while I was waiting, these incredibly drunk, I'm going to say roughly 25-year-old men, a quartet of them, were like running around the parking lot, high-fiving random people through the windows of their cars, you know, trying to get them to honk their horns, chanting "Let's go, Mets!" Shotgunning whatever beers they had left in the cooler of their trunk. I'm like, I need to get out of here really before these guys are well after them. <laughs> but, yeah, well, yeah, you know, you know, that's one element that's going to happen is is that now that they're good, you know, they're just going to start bringing out all the casual fans, and you know, you don't you don't know what the the atmosphere is going to be like. But it seemed like the way it was the other night, it could be you know pretty loud, pretty fun. Yeah, I mean the chanting, I, so. I'm the Channing Harper's overrated or overrated at yeah that's a Harper. Bit. You're just well, you're poking the lion. Yeah. Uh, 
no, it's no, also I'm not. Like, it's also not good. Like that's that's just not. Yeah, I mean, you got he's the best player in baseball. That too. <laughs> it does make you look a little. Yeah, I mean, you can boo him. That's fine. But let's keep some sense of perspective, I suppose. Um, yeah. And you know, you can cheer for Wilmer Flores, cheer for Syndergaard, Suspedes, who we'll get to in a minute. But I still don't know if it's a good team. But it's I. I feel a kinship with this team now that I haven't in several years. Like, there's been things to like about, there's been players to like about recent teams. There's been cool stuff has happened, you know, whether it's R.A. Dickey or, um, you know, the emergence of Matt Harvey and Jacob deGrom in recent years. They're sort of like isolated incidents, almost. But now yeah. it's like, it's a... And the funny thing is, I think, you know, you just hear the media constantly complain about the actual clubhouse, but I don't have to deal with that. So it, it, there's like, it feels like a cool team to me. Yeah. And you also have that, that element of a lot of the team is homegrown and sure that people like that. People feel a kinship with that. And, you know, you look around the starting rotation, you got, you got Nice, you got DeGrom, Harvey, Syndergaard, you got all those got Nats. I mean, these are all homegrown, homegrown guys. You got Familia, Duda, Murphy. I mean, Murphy's been around forever. You know, I don't know. There's a lot to like about it. And I do, for I mean, some, I... yeah, for whatever, for whatever reason, if you, if you've grown the guy up yourself, everyone just kind of likes that person a little bit more. I think there's something to that. If you know, if Wilmer Flores had hadn't been sort of a prospect or sort of associated with the Mets since 2007, you know, would it have been the same uh, reaction? Yeah. I think we are sort of protective of our guys to a certain extent. Yeah, and it doesn't hurt when the guys you bring in are a guy like Juan Uribe, who everyone says is like the best teammate and is just a really, really likable guy. And also hits long dongs. Yeah. That was a rocket. I love the the, the finish on that swing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the Mets haven't really had that. Like, really since... Jeez. I mean... What, what? What have had? What like the flare or? Yeah, I mean, I guess Reyes, but Reyes, yeah. yeah. But it's a different kind of flare. It's like a power hitter's flare. It's not a. <laughs> yeah, they haven't had that in a while. It's something. It's just something else. Um, I mean, I guess yeah, you could you could throw a Reyes comp there if you wanted, but and there's just there's something about Uribe, just sort of the grip it and rip it attitude. Yeah. Versus he is going to ne- he's going to try to hit every single ball over the Clevelander, basically. Yeah, with a huge wad in his yeah, cheek. With a gigantic <laughs> wad of chaw. It's, like, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, but this is like the kind of, like, I love this. I don't want to root for and write about and podcast about a bad team. Um, and the Mets, especially when bad, it, like, it brings out the worst in me. <laughs> you know, as we discussed last week, I've committed moving violations. I've drunk to excess. I've alienated friends and family. I'm 33. This is not healthy. <laughs> I mean, it's not as bad as it used to be. And you know, I, I you know, I if they make the playoffs this year, I won't get as high about it as I would have in my teens or my 20s. But I'm ready. I'm ready for a good team. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you there. I mean, it's it's just been something that we've been so beaten down and used to that this whole like winning experience has just been weird and, and, and it's been fun and it's been 
like you're finally realizing what we've been missing out on. Right, and I know you talked about sort of the casuals and the bandwagoners that are that will come. That doesn't really bother me. It's like I don't have to talk to them. Like yeah. they just need to know how to chant "Let's go Mets" and clap along with the at the right time while chanting "Let's go Mets." That's all they need to know how to do. I got no problem with it. Like I don't care if they don't realize that um, Jair's Familia came up as like a starter, like a good starting pitching prospect. You know, I don't care if they don't realize that um, they know anything about the Worth and Slider. Yeah, most fans don't care about that stuff. You know, they're just like, you know, I like the Mets, and and they don't really need to know all that information. They just want the team to win, and and when they're winning, it brings them out. And I don't know, it's it's fun. I've been talking to a lot of people, people whom. I've known for like five years, but it just never came up in conversation that they were Mets fans. And you're like, hey, I was watching the game the other night, and I was like, you're a Mets fan? I was like, yeah. He's like, how did you? How did I not know that? <laughs> and then he had something to talk about. So it's fun. It's been it, not just the winning, but you know that kind of angle too has been fun. And yeah, I have a, there's a guy I work with who's a Mets fan, and like we just see each other in the halls now. And we just like start giggling. It's like the <laughs> stupidest thing in the world. We're just two like old Italian dudes. <laughs> and just every time it's and everybody else he like he alludes to it too like if we're in mixed company like yeah I've never they, everyone just assumes my sullen dick because I'm like that at work too but uh, <laughs> exactly the same I don't change you know, I know some people have like their workplace persona no I'm exactly the same but <laughs> like oh yeah we never see you smile that much yeah it's because of the Mets and that's not healthy don't get me wrong no, that's not, it's healthy. not healthy but I've made I've made my choices well this could be a whole new world for you so one of the reasons the Mets are 5-0 and since our last show and now look like a vaguely competent major league lineup is Juanes Suspedes yeah early returns are good Greg yeah I mean yes. it's literally like six games but he brings a presence to the lineup that's for sure. I mean, is, you, don't, you don't really know what it is until you actually see it. So that's the thing, because, you know, I'm I'm fairly familiar with Suspedes. I don't watch a ton of American League Baseball. And basically, you know, last year's Red Sox and this year's Tigers were not particularly interesting teams. I'm going to go out of my way to check out on MLB TV. Yeah. You know, I know the whole backstory, whatever. I, I know the Suspedis Barbecue guys casually through Twitter and and stuff. But, you know, the sort of... I'm as susceptible to this as anyone. Sort of the media narrative around him as a player is, like, again, five games, but very different from the reality, I think. Hmm. What is the perception and media perception? Well, he doesn't talk to the media. Oh, 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 yeah. He left... Okay, yeah. Well, in general, he doesn't like talking to the media, which, again, becomes sort of a character flaw. So he gets called, like, moody. Mm. Because he's a large Cuban man, you know, people sort of praise his athleticism. Mm. Like, think about the clips you see of him in the field. Like, the two big... Like, sort of his two more famous throws. It starts with him misplaying a a fairly routine play and then having to make up up for it, quote-unquote, with his sort of raw athleticism. But from what I've seen, he's a very smart baseball player good instincts on the base paths good instincts in the outfield strong approach at the plate he doesn't walk a ton but he tracks breaking balls he doesn't get fooled by stuff 
he works at bats like you know he's the kind of guy that would be referred to as like a gritty hustler if he wasn't cuban and didn't talk to the media Mm. Mm -hmm. and of course he got so there's a whole thing you know the boston media doing their job after he left town you know sort of oh he'll only play left field blah 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 came over here volunteered to play center and just looked pretty good there yeah it's almost like the Boston media carries water for ownership and kills guys on the way out of town all the time. <laughs> or something. I don't know. Is that true? Probably. <laughs> That's something I've seen. But yeah, you see it. I mean, the, the just look at sort of the way Alderson has been portrayed this year in the, in the New York media. And I'm not saying he hasn't deserved criticism, because he certainly has. But a lot of it just comes out of the fact that he won't talk to them. And they, right. they'll even come out and say notably Adam Rubin, that, well, if he doesn't talk to me, he can't get positive coverage. I can't, like, frame it stuff the way he might want. Well, who cares? Do your job. Like, Suspedes is doing his job. I don't care if he talks to the media. I don't need a human interest story, and they don't really need a boilerplate quote about, you know, just trying to have a good at bat and get driving some runs. Yeah. I agree. I I don't really care if he talks to the media. I just want him to hit home runs and play a decent center field. So that brings us to sort of the stuff that's already come up around Jonas Suspedes, despite him being around here exactly five games. Um, And we don't have to talk about this now, but apparently it's a story because Jonas Suspedes said he wants to stay here a long time, which is the same thing he said in Detroit. Probably yeah, the same thing he said in Oakland. When he does give quotes to the media, that's the kind of quotes you get. Um, so it's going to be a story, and he has that weird contract where they have to release him after the World Series, so they'd have to sign him to an extension before then. He's not going to do that. I mean, because, why would he? Right. Well, just... I'll say um, he would do that, I think, but the Mets would have to guarantee him yeah. Market rate and probably slightly above. Right. So if you think he's going to get, let's say, 5125, they would have to offer something closer to 6150 to, to buy him out from testing the market. Yeah, you can just forget about that. Well, sure. I mean, but, but I think. So here's, but who cares? Yeah, who cares? But that's my, my point would be the Mets are sort of, sort of the argument the Mets are better equipped to just use him as a rental because they have Michael Conforto or Brandon Nimmo and, you know, grant us under contract for a couple more years. But here's the thing. If he's willing to play center field and can play a, a scratch center field or even a minus five center field, you know, he's probably worth 125 to $150 million to this Mets team. Yeah, but it, it's never... it's never. Yeah, he's worth that, you know... In terms of like baseball, you know, like yes, all of yes. the, you know, like. but I mean, so there's, so I think Alderson understands this based on sort of the quotes in the book and uh, his meeting with Robinson Cano, for example. There's value if you're going to get value in free agency, it's in that upper class of free agents. Yeah, and especially yeah. for position players, this off season, it's pretty much there's not much past Juan Espedes. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's some guys, but. Um opt-in and, and those types. But yeah, he's a top, you know, five or six free agent this this offseason. And as far as outfield position players go, he's top three at least. 
I mean, I know he's going to be on the wrong side of 30. It's going to take a long-term deal, and those things don't always work out. But if we're talking about sort of extending the Mets window as a competitive team, he would be a good yeah, he'd be first good. step in that direction. Definitely. Definitely. But I, I, you know, I don't see it. And, you know, I, it's not something, this is like dwelling over Harvey's uh, pending free agency. Well, like, I don't I, think I, it's exactly. It's so, we, I mean, it's not like we, the Mets made a move for this year, you know, yes. and I'm fine yep. with that. But I think if we sort of do have to acknowledge that he is here in part because he didn't require a financial commitment past this yeah. season. Right. Things haven't changed, really. I mean, the amount of money that they brought on at the trade deadline is probably is offset by, yeah. you know, Mejia and David Wright. And if they, if they added any money, I mean, it's probably uh, a million or two. So yep. a new payroll. We'll stick with the, the downer topics before we start printing playoff tickets. We had about 55 games to go, Greg. Yeah. What's So I had this whole segment planned for this week's show. Greg and I would discuss a couple different topics related to what we thought the sort of the minefields were down the stretch for the Mets. And you can go in a couple different directions. Uh, and I had planned to talk about the bullpen for mine uh, previous to the Wednesday night game with the Marlins. But I think we can just talk about the bullpen now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's obviously been the thing that's held them back. They've had injuries there. And they've, you know, they, they've had a good bullpen the whole year. They uh, have. It's a, it's a top, you know, five, six bullpen in, in terms of results. And, but you can see the things kind of, you can see the seam and like it's starting to get pulled. Like, you know, Mejia goes down, Blevins is not coming back. Uh, Familia has looked shaky and, you know, Clippard has come on board and he's not looked, you know, great. So, and, and then there's the, the lack of, trust in anyone other than you know the top two or three relievers so so i think you've hit on a couple different points here depth was always going to be an issue especially once the mejia suspension happened but that's not my main concern i guess because you get into a playoff race like this you know starters go longer pens get shorter you can sort of work around... I mean, they haven't used Sean Gilmartin in a month, basically, anyway, so who really cares about Sean Gilmartin for the purposes of this conversation? But when you look at the top of the pen now, your high-leverage guys, your late-inning relievers, I'm really concerned about J.R.'s Familia. And look, since the break, he's got a 380 batting average on balls in play, 1.93 home runs per nine innings. You know, there's some unluckiness in there. There's some issues with the Mets defense up the middle on ground balls. Uh, there's your some small sample size random variation. Now, this isn't... I saw someone, I forget who, tweeted about it being like regression to the mean. And yes, he had a unsustainable strand rate and, you know, probably an unsustainable Babbitt in the first half. That's not how regression to the mean works. Right. Regression to the mean is you pitch to your normal... You regress to the mean. It's not gambler's fallacy. Yeah. It's not a heads-tails thing. Um, but I think for Familia from watching him recently, the how here really matters and he's losing his mechanics Mm -hmm. and this has happened to him, you know, a fair bit as a prospect when he first came up, they've tinkered with his mechanics a ton, Uh, but he's had it. 
he's sort of found something the last year and a half, especially this year when his uh, control and his command both took a step forward. So that makes me a little bit nervous. Now, it could just be a blip. Um, and he's been used heavily in the first half. There could be a few different things going on here, but when you're missing as badly as he is, this is like something I saw from him in the minors as a starter a fair amount. He would just, he would lose his delivery at times, miss badly, um, had better luck spotting his slider, which was more of a slurvy thing back then, but you've kind of seen the same thing with him recently. And then if he'd fall behind 3-1, he'd really have to focus, and he'd just groove a fastball that wouldn't quite have sort of the sink and run the two seamer his two-seamer normally has, and he'd get hit hard. And I think you've seen a little bit about of that in the last couple of weeks, and it makes me a little bit nervous. Yeah. I think everyone's nervous. But, you know, the stuff is still pretty good. He's still throwing 99 miles an hour, so I think he'll come around. I think he'll be okay. I think the depth worries me a little bit more than Familia at this point. I'm a little worried about Tyler Clippard. Like, I like Tyler Clippard. I understand that he's a good reliever. And, you know, we talked about sort of the peripherals regressing uh, on last week's show. I don't know if if that's meaningful yet. Um, I think it's just, and I saw him a little bit on Sunday night, you know, change-up heavy relievers, I think, just scare me generally. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing because it's like, how many times can you go to the same trick? Yeah, it's just very little margin for error. And it's like he's got a, a major league fastball. You know, he's 91 to 94 and like a show-me breaker. But yeah, it's just he just throws that change-up over and over again. Yeah, it makes me nervous, but he seems like a guy who knows what he's doing. So I have a little bit of confidence there. And then after that, it's just a tire fire. Yeah. Yeah, I don't trust anybody else. Um, so Hansel Robles. I'm talking about Hansel Robles. I've always liked Hansel Robles. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, he is fastball only. Yeah. He can't I mean, he can't miss bats with the sliders. And, you know, some days the fastball command's good enough and the arm slot's low enough to be able to throw it by guys. Other days he's walking Jeff Mathis. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. It's not great. I mean, he's been giving up dingers left and right. Well, he's an extreme fly ball pitcher. Yeah. Um, and again, because he throws fastballs, and he can't really elevate from that arm slot, so sometimes guys can turn on it. Yeah. I mean, Bobby Parnell shouldn't be an issue because he should also be on mop up duty, but that seems unlikely as long as Terry Collins is managing. Yeah. There's a chance that he could get better. Maybe. I guess. <laughs> I, I feel like he's overthrowing to get the velocity jump right now. That might be true. And it's just flattening everything out. And it's not like his... Well, when he was throwing, when he was easier and had the sort of the 93 to 96 mile an hour two-seamer, there was at least some run there. But he doesn't really have... He's like overthrowing to get to that same velocity range. Whereas when he was sitting 93 to 96 last year, he was almost taking a little off, I feel like, from what yeah. he could do. So yeah. I think that's part of it. He can't throw the knuckle curve for a strike, so he's got to try to get ahead with the fastball. Um, I'm just, it's, he's just think, getting hit hard. Yeah. I, I mean, as far as reinforcements or anything, I don't know if we cover this in an email later, but like I could see them using like Steven Matz out of the bullpen down the stretch. 
Uh, we will be covering this in an email later, I think. Oh, okay. But I do want to wrap up the actual... Carlos Torres should get those innings. He has looked better. He goes through stretches where his arm's just dead, I feel like. Yeah. And then they he's, sort of ease off the gas, and he's fine after that for a few he weeks. He took 95 the other day. Yeah. He's, he could be a seventh-inning guy. It's not like... I think he sort of gets hurt in the minds of Met fans because when it goes for him, it goes for like a week and a half at a time, and he's it's just awful. Yeah, no, it's really bad. I mean, it's just really bad. Um, but he's done sort of everything that's been asked of him for this team, and you know when he's got sort of the fastball cutter slider curve thing going, he's he's tough. He's a tough little pitcher. Yeah, I mean, I mean they've really sort of pumped the brakes on him this year too, especially recently. As I'm hoping he'll have some some gas down the stretch. But you know, after that, you know, whatever. Aaron O'Flaherty, I don't know. He's been. <laughs> fine before so yeah they're lefties man yeah who knows but you start and i had a question about this on twitter i think last night sort of people already panicking like are there any internal options and not really um you know i liked what i saw from logan verrett out of the pen but if you make that move and you can make that move you're getting dylan g spot starts down the stretch yeah probably I mean, Stephen Matz is uh, probably a month away. And this is when you should really be looking. This is the time of year you want to look to shorten the rotation, not lengthen it. And, like, I know they're not going to throw Harvey DeGrom and Syndergaard on short rest. I'm not necessarily suggesting they should. But you may just have to roll with the five. And they might. I Again, whatever Terry Collins says about the rotation just doesn't mean anything, as far as I can tell terms of who will pitch when the number of people who will take those spots it just doesn't seem to innings limits i don't know yeah who knows but sort of past that if you look at um the guys i would point out that i've seen this year that i think could help in a major league pen uh the first two names come to mind for me are josh smoker and maddie cook Mm. Um, i just don't know if you want these guys throwing meaningful innings down a in a pennant race though you know, Smoker's been excellent this year, but that's a jump from yeah. the Eastern League to the majors for a guy that's been out of organized baseball since 2012. And when he was in organized baseball, never got to double A. And basically has thrown 12 innings in double A this year. They've been good innings. Um, Cook is back in the rotation now just because they've traded all their yeah. upper minors pitching depth. Right. Um, and he's not a guy that misses a ton of bats. He's like a sinker slider dude. Um, and that fastball is a little hittable, even though it's a plus fastball. You know, is that a guy you want? Like, I mean, we're not talking about bullpen depth. You want to swap out, you know, Sean Gilmartin or Hansel Robles, one of these guys. I don't think you're making a meaningful impact. We're talking about giving high leverage. Where are you going to find high leverage innings? You, know, you can get creative. Uh, Gabby Yanoa's on the 40. You might get 93 to 95 in short bursts there. But again, you're jumping a guy from double A. You're talking about hittable fastballs. <laughs> that one's been very hittable. Yeah. Um, are you really getting more out of him than you are getting out of Robles? You know, similar arm slot. Um, you know, you know, as I got a little more feel than Robles does and a little more command, certainly. But probably does have the top end velocity. I'll get an email later in the show that talks, uh, asks specifically about Vic Black, but that doesn't seem like an option right now, at least not before September 1st. And you've got other Vegas pen arms, and Vegas makes it hard to evaluate these guys. You know, see Eric Goodell, who got shelled there basically for a, 
a full year and then looked okay in the majors. But, you know, I, yeah. I somewhat like Co- Cody Satterwhite. Sure. All right. It's a big arm. He's got decent peripherals this year, all things considered. I mean, he's really the only guy in the biggest pen missing bats right now. Uh, <laughs> in a weird twist of fate, though, I would say the one guy you could have, I'm not complaining about the deal, the one guy you could have looked at is maybe sort of a... Corey Mazzoni? No. no? <laughs> as a sort okay. of a shot in the arm to your late season pen is Michael Fulmer. Ah, yeah. That's like a fastball slider guy. Fastball slider guy. He would have yeah, been... just come up and do it and just make, let him air it out for an inning. Yeah, I mean, he would have probably lived in the you know mid to high nineties. So that's, but you know, can't play what if with that. I feel. I think we're happy with what we got. Yep. And in the end, it's just it comes down to: Are you confident breaking any of these guys in in the middle of a pennant race? I mean, at least with Robles and Parnell, they have some experience in this level. They at times have looked like major league quality relievers. I don't know about Parnell since you know since the injury, but at least there there's some track record, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Mm. So we're talking about sort of upgrades. I mean, they can go on the waiver wire. I mean, those guys are always available by the August thirty first deadline. You know, they can bring in a couple arms, but. I don't, this may just be how it goes. Fortunately, Greg, yes. we're Mets fans, and if there's one thing we can handle, it's a bad bullpen. <laughs> like we're, we're, we're emotionally prepared for that. We know how it feels. <laughs> yes, yes, okay. If you want to put it that way, you can put it that way. Yeah. Before we head to pure emails, we'll do a little minor league Roundup. There's a few bits and pieces of news to cover. Uh, the Mets have a new A-Ball affiliate, sort of. It's really the same A-Ball affiliate. They're just moving up the road from Savannah to Columbia. And they the branding came out this week. And look, it's no Hartford Yard Goats, let's be clear. But I'm saying the Columbia yeah. Fireflies, it's a nice look. It's not bad. It's not bad. You know, the hats are going to glow in the dark. Really? Yes, the game hats will glow in the dark. <laughs> Minor League Baseball, man. I'm going to buy one now just because that's, that's wonderfully that's ludicrous. It is. It's funny. I already have somebody also asked me how the stadium's going to play. I'm like, well, they haven't built the stadium yet. Yeah. So, <laughs> be ready I by 2016. Say, look, it's, I looked it'll it up. It'll be better, yeah. more hitter-friendly than Grayson. Right. I looked it up. Columbia's like 270 feet above sea level. Oh, but I can I can tell you literally nothing about their stadium that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> I don't know about the navy and fluorescent yellow color scheme. As long as they keep the fluorescent yellow yeah, as like trim, it should be okay. But you know they're just gonna yeah, have some yeah. god awful like glow in the dark alternate home jersey. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna happen at some point. It's gonna be a hot mess. Mm. other minor league news this week brandon nemo finally to vegas after we predicted he'd go to vegas i think sometime in march <laughs> yeah yeah we we kind of thought he was going to be starting the year there but and and i don't know you know I mean, it's not like he was you know killing the ball in 380 uh so you know we'll see i'm sure that they have some more metrics 
that you know other than the stat line other than his 380 slugging yeah was it even 367 yeah it's not great but who knows i know that other organizations at least have more um in-depth stats you know they have exit velocity and things like that so you know you never know um he's already hitting 320 in vegas with more walks and strikeouts yeah so the early returns are vegas I hate Vegas. I mean, like, how are we ever supposed to evaluate anything? Through that supposed to 900 OPS for the rest of the year. Yeah. But. Brandon Nemo has figured it out. Hey, he already I'm, homered. He did already homer, which yeah. uh, increased his yearly total by 50%. I think that yeah. math works out. He went from two to three. He went from two to three. Hey, it's another uh, person for Wally to play unnecessarily in a corner for Daryl Siliani. And to be fair, Pedro Lopez was doing that in double A too. So last year I can't. Uh... Yeah. Well, he's one step away. He is. He's on a phone call away. And the last thing I want to touch on is sort of we didn't take a – overview like a sort of a more overarching look at this last week we were just sort of going through all the trades but something i noticed again i'm just going to continue to farm my twitter account for content for this show somebody asked me who the current top five pitching prospects in the system are and i gave them my list because it hasn't you know it's not a, a radical change robert zellman gabby yanoa harold gonzalez Marcos Molina. Oh, am I forgetting? <laughs> I don't know. Here's the fifth. I should be able to do this from memory because it's like a very obvious top five. I thought you were struggling with the fifth. I was struggling with the sixth. That was going to be the topic. Ah. Uh. Salman, you know Gonzalez. Molina. I'm like running through affiliates. Waddle. Uh, um, uh, yeah, thank drafty. you. Max Wattel, yes. Um, oh, I've already made a hash of this segment. So, Greg, um, <laughs> my question to you, I don't know if that's your five necessarily, but eh, who is the, we'll, we'll, we'll take this as canon for now. Uh, who's the sixth best project pitching prospect in the Mets system? Because I would literally take just about any name from you here. I have, I mean, who who, who you're out of? I mean, if you want to go close to the majors, you can oh, go Matt gosh, Bowman. Was... If you want to go... Yeah, I'm not going Matt Bowman. That's fine, no, I'm not either. If you want to go upside, you can look at some of the, the prep lefties that that aren't Max Wattel, you know, Sixto right. Torres or Sapucky or Jake Simon. Right. Uh, if you and, and there go... haven't really been anyone who broke out in Brooklyn so far this year. So. Right. You know, if you want to go sort of, uh, you know, fastball donks in the minor, you know, you can look at Josh Smoker, who's an yeah. indie ball signing and I think is 27 years old. My point in all of this is, again, it's not a bad thing that the Mets pitching depth is a little short now because it's due in part to the fact that they've graduated a whole bunch of really good pitchers to the majors. They're doing really good things in the last few years. But 
Um, yeah. There's really not much pitching depth now. No. But to the point is, like, I don't know how they felt a AAA rotation next year. Uh, before you even start talking about fifth and sixth starters. And you assume Mats takes Cologne's spot in the rotation. You know, now you can't even really trade John Neese because who's your fifth starter? This means Zach Wheeler's not pitching until the All-Star break. And you don't really have the money, and pitching is expensive on the market. And you're going to sign this year's version of, you know, John Lannon and Dice K. Matt Sazaka? I mean, you probably will anyway. Yeah. But is that something you can really count on? And look, I don't, I like, I like Gazelman, I like Yanoa, and they're probably the closest of those guys, but there's not, you know, you're talking about maybe four starters? Well, you have, um, assuming Montero comes back, you have probably six major league caliber starters. We'll get so, to Montero. Yeah, well, yeah. But sure, so, you're right, I, I did forget Montero, so that's reasonable. So, so I mean, we've that, seen that provides some depth. We've talked about going into seasons before, like preseason preview, and having eight starters, and they still end up having Dice K. Matsuzaka make starts that year. Oh yeah, like I you're mean, one or two injuries away from, always. you know, literally counting on Robert Gazelman next year. Yes, you always need more than you know six or seven starters. You're always going to dip into the well at some point. So, so yeah. answer the question though, who's your, who's the sixth best starter in the system, or sixth best pitching prospect, I should say? I mean, they got rid of everyone I know. Yeah, well, there you go. That's <laughs> another part of the problem. Uh, I will say, for all the, and again, it's one start. I think he's pitching again tonight. But uh, Casey Meisner's first start in the Cal League did not go well. Oh really? Yeah, I'm gonna tell you something else. The rest of Casey Meisner starts in the Cal League are not gonna go that well. Yeah, I guess the Cal League, huh? Yeah, but that's uh, not a good environment for him. Same thing happened to Brad Wack. Like, he pitched really well when he moved over to San Diego's Midwest League affiliate. And then he went out to the Cal League, and yeah, it changed fast. Guys without plus fastballs in the Cal League does not go well from them. Well, I'm sure that it's not really an issue yet, but I'm sure somebody will emerge next year and things will firm up a little bit. Now move on to your emails, and before we do emails, we do housekeeping. It's the Mason Avenue Audio, episode 132. Mason Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. Find us on the internet at amazingavenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash... Yeah, fuck, I'm just going to leave it there. Amazing Avenue. <laughs> You find the podcast on iTunes, just search for Amazing Avenue Audio, and you listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. Okay, it's just a slash, but I'm already finished all this Paloma, so I don't really care. You also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash Amazing Avenue. Listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue Proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Greg Karam. Follow him on Twitter, at Greg Karam. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And our first email is from Jay. Jeff, as we all know, Ioannis Cespedes did not make it to New York for the Friday, July 31st game against the Nationals. However... If he had shown up 
in time for a surprise at bat in the late innings, and if Twitter did not leak the news, which story did WWE run in would this have been most similar to, and why is it Ziggler cashing in on Del Rio? So I don't see it as a money-in-the-bank cash-in, Jay. I don't. There's too much sort of... Or uh, there's there would have been too much warning, I think, for Suspedis showing up. They would have had to add him to the roster. And let's be honest, despite what uh, Alderson has said about playing short recently, they don't really mind playing short. So, that, so you would have had that sort of like, well, if he gets there, maybe we'll use him, but you know, we're going to be a little short on the bench. So I think you're, you're looking more like one of those. So the money in the bank cash is supposed to be a little bit of a surprise if you kind of suspect it might happen at a big show. Sort of like Seth Rollins cash, cashing in at WrestleMania. This feels more to me like someone showing up at the end of Raw after getting hauled off in handcuffs at the beginning. Like Steve Austin made this very popular. Um, they did it with Dean Ambrose recently. There was some Clash of the Champions when I was really young um, where this happened with like Sting got attacked got taken to the hospital with like a knee injury and was he going to get back in time to defend his u.s title against ravishing rick rude um so they had like live updates from the hotel with eric bischoff and then there's a whole thing with him like running past it and it was all like so they didn't even bother like doing things this was a live show where they had hit like a camera on him it was just like eric bischoff on the phone with like a photo of the map of georgia like where the hospital was and then a little picture of eric bischoff in the corner so they set it up. I'm sure he never actually left the building. But <laughs> so they set it up by having him like Eric Bischoff like describing him running by him in the hallway and like shoving him over and like doctors in the background telling him to uh that he couldn't leave the hospital. I think they did do a whole thing where he drove in an ambulance and like ran out and then actually ended up losing the match. I think Root clipped him in the knee while the ref was distracted or something. <laughs> so that ending with Ioannis the Ioannis Suspedis equivalent ending to that probably wouldn't be very good. But uh <laughs> Which would probably be him coming out and just like immediately getting hit in the hand <laughs> in his uh, late inning at bat, breaking a handmate or something. <laughs> but I think, you know, Austin coming out at the end, throwing the double bird to like Jonathan Papel. So Jonas Simpson throws like the double bird to Papelbon, hits one to the moon at City. Maybe it comes around, gives Wilson Ramos a stunner at home plate, something like that. He'd have to have a really good bat flip. Yes. Which he does, so that's not really a problem. Yeah. Or you could take it in a, in a like a sort of a different direction. Like you think uh, Ioannis Suspedis is going to come out to pinch hit, but instead like Eric Campbell's music hits? I don't actually know what that is. I have not been paying that close attention to Eric Campbell no bats this year. No idea. And there's, there's like a whole speech. Like I know you were expecting Ioannis Suspedis, but he can't get here. Because his taxi has four flat tires. Which is another famous wrestling angle. Because you know, how would Eric Campbell know that he, that Uinus's taxi had four flat tires? Unless he slashed the tires. I forget who they did that with. I think it was like Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard. The old NWA days. I'll take your word for it. So I'm going to say this. Look, I like, I like talking about pro wrestling. It's getting a little out of control in the email segment right now. We need to dial it back a little bit. <laughs> that was okay because I could work in some classic stuff. But like, look, if you, we're probably going to do a SummerSlam preview at some point. Because whatever. Um, 
have to get Steve. I know, but it's just, it's, right, like, I get it. Like, trust me, there's times I just want to talk about anything other than Mets baseball. I think those times are maybe possibly over. I'm not saying I won't answer your wrestling questions because I will. Our next email is from Matthew. Hey, Jeff. I like that they're just, they're skipping the co-host pretense now because we've just been rotating so many people in. Yeah. First time, long time. I've been kicking around an idea in my head the last few weeks about what the Metsies will do with the rotation after Matts gets off the DL. We all know how everybody feels about the six-man rotation. I don't think it will reduce pitcher innings enough to keep somebody from getting shut down or broke down if the Mets were actually to make it deep in October. Plus, everybody seems to hate it. So how about this? Take either Cologne or Nice, or maybe even Mats, put them on a six-day schedule. Whoever would benefit the most from six days rest instead of five. Keep everyone else on a five-day schedule with skipped starts when the wild card comes on their day. So the rotation schedule will go something like this. Harvey DeGrom, Thor, Mats, Cologne, Nice DeGrom, Thor, Mats, Cologne, Harvey Nice, Thor, Mats, Cologne, Harvey DeGrom, Nice, Mats, Cologne, Harvey DeGrom, Thor, Nice, Cologne, Harvey DeGrom, Thor, Mats, Nice. Do you think that would be a plausible solution to keep innings down but still keep everyone from bitching about being on six, seven days rest every time out? If so, who do you think would be the wild card six-day pitcher? I just used Nice as an example because he seemed to be a little sharper with the extra rest when they were using the six-man rotation. Thanks, Matt. Okay, so the reason pitchers don't like the six-man rotation is it upsets their routine. That would be worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, also, fun- also, Nice is not the guy. Yeah. <laughs> Functionally, um, you know, Matt, again, isn't really going to be here until September 1st. At that point, it's about wins. You should be shortening your rotation, not lengthening your, the rotation at the risk of repeating myself. Um. And I've you know, sort of talked before about the idea that maybe Matt's role in a theoretical playoff roster is more of a you know the David Price Matt Moore fireman role yeah. that the Rays sort of used to break in their young pitchers in the playoffs. So maybe you look at doing that in September, sort of getting him used to it. I know there, there's some risks there in, in changing his routine. He's never pitched out of the pen. Um, and because of this injury, he hasn't thrown a ton of innings this year. Steven Matz is a motherfucker. I'm pretty sure yeah, he can man. handle it. I, in, in two inning, like two inning bursts, it be, really changes the shape of this pen. It really would. It'd be great. I think that's. I think that's probably the route that they should go. Because they need help back there, and he could be. A, he could be a motherfucker back there, throwing 97 and just mowing people down. Our next email, so I think it's Ali, but I we have so many Swedish listeners that it could also be Oli. So Oli or Ali. That one, there's no, there's no greeting. I like this. Just skip right to it. That was an awesome show. He's the referring to the last week's episode. I just found the podcast by going to the site daily, probably because until very recently, the notion of listening to someone talk about the Mets for an hour seemed like a terrible idea. It still is. Don't worry about it. And this is going to be way longer than an hour. Either way, keep up the good work and thank you. He probably, after last week's episode, has a very, very different view on what the podcast is than any other <laughs> listener. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, very different uh, sort of atmosphere to it previous to the last episode. Yeah, it's not as dark. My question is, what are your thoughts on the inning limits on young starters moving forward? How will that be addressed? Also, are there any starters or relievers in the minors you expect to help us when? They expand the rosters. 
feel like we talked enough about that. We went sort of over the bullpen issues in the first segment. I will say that I'm just going to take the plunge probably now and buy tickets to the Saturday-Sunday games at City Field the last weekend against the Nats. I've been thinking about doing this. So the thing of it is... I mean, it's... In my mind, they're not going to get any cheaper than they are now. Because I think this goes down to the wire. Yeah. And... I figure sort of like... There's also a scenario where the Mets already have it wrapped up by the weekend. True. And I get like a Gabby Yanoa spot start. No, but he's on the would, 40. But it would be a joyous atmosphere. Right, and it would be a joyous atmosphere. I could see Gabby and Noah pitch in, in City Field. And, uh, you know, they'd be setting their rotation or whatever. And that's really the only way I see anybody in the minors making an impact on the rotation <laughs> or pen down the stretch. I agree. Because you gotta you got to go with your guys. I'm going to be clear. One more time. Any innings limit has to go out the window now. You're not. I, I, I agree. You're not going to run your big arms out there on three days like you could do with Santana. I get that. First of all, Jacob Degrom should never have been on any sort of innings count. There were 180 innings last year. He can go 220. He can go more than 220 this year. He's 27. Stop doing things because of the Verducci effect, which doesn't exist. It doesn't. They've done studies. It can easily yeah. be explained by regression to the mean for the most part. All you're doing is sort of managing towards the least amount of backlash. It's sort of just become codified for no reason. Win games now. That's the only goal. I'm not saying you should abuse these guys. I'm not saying you should leave Matt Harvey in for 130 pitches in like a 4-3 game in the 8th inning or whatever. Just... Treat them like you would in May. Which maybe isn't a good example because they don't know the best best track record of not leaving these guys in too long. But still, just dance with the girl that brung you. Everything's working fine. You don't really need to worry about innings limits. I agree. And I don't think there's any way this happens if they're in a playoff race. No, I don't think They would get absolutely slaughtered in the media. And look, I like again, I don't I don't any team that goes deep in the playoffs, their starters throw a lot of innings, especially their top line guys. And it's possible that then there might be a correlation, I'm not saying a causation, where somebody gets hurt next year or is less effective. You just can't worry about that because that might have happened anyway, because they're fucking pitchers, man. They break. They break, that's what they do. Right now, they're really good, so keep rolling them out there. Yes, I agree. So our next email, is this Liam? He didn't sign it. I know we've gotten emails from this address before.
pause now. It is Liam, yeah. Liam, sign your email so I don't have to go back and look. The other emails you've sent. It's getting scolded. Hey there, podcasters. So I was messing around on baseball reference and or fan graphs, and the more I looked at the Mets' current lineup slash roster, I realized how many league average or better bats currently occupy roster spots. I know it's amazing. Well, I don't believe the current offensive explosion will continue at all. Do you believe that this could be a league average offense? I was doing the math in my head. Can a team of Granderson, Duda, Murphy, mix of Johnson and Uribe, Suspedes, Conforto, Darno and Plaw, Flores and Tejada be even an above average offense? At this point, I'm at least inclined to believe that while the Nats have a potential MVP in Harper, the Mets lineup is currently deeper. I don't know I might be crazy. That's why I'm asking a mildly surprised podcast listener. P.S. If possible, please find suitable wrestling comps for the lineup. If too lazy or annoying to do it, that's fine. Good. That's fine then. <laughs> I'm doing com- wrestling comps for every single player. Um, yes, that's the idea. That's why they made these trades. I think it's going to be above league average the rest of the way. I think it's certainly possible, which again is... Look around at every position and what they have there, and it's league average or better for the most part. I mean, especially when you look by position. Right. Uh, Even shortstop's better. Yeah, the idea is there's no real elite offensive players here. I mean, Duda's very good. Granderson's been very good. Suspendus has been very good, but you're just plugging holes for the most part with, you know, your 90 to 110 guys. Your guys 10% below league average or 10% above league average. Guys that are roughly league average for their position for the most part. Yeah. You know, maybe somebody gets hot, but you just not starting, you know, Mayberry, Campbell, Flores against right-handed pitching makes a huge difference. Huge difference. And then, and the, the also the, the schedule is going to help too. I mean, it, they're not facing Kershaw and Granke uh, the rest of the way. Right. We have someone I think post on our internal Slack. Like, I'm not sure if this offense is good or if the Marlins yeah, the other are just really bad. bad. Well, they're playing the Marlins a lot, so I don't really care. Yeah. They, I, I mean, they're definitely going to be above league average the rest of the way. I would, I would mark that. That's down. ambitious. I, I'd say I'm sticking with it. Just I mean, you got Darno. Ca- you got Darno back. Yeah. Yeah, right maybe on the horizon. Yeah. Okay, I get it. It's very, very possible. It's nice to see. And their bench is deeper, too. That's their the bench exists. Us. They have a bench. They have a bench, yes. No more Danny Mano. You know, Kadayo's going to be back this weekend, and he could be useful against lefties the rest of the way. Yep. I mean, they, you know, use him as a lefty masher and not just, like, send down Conforto and give him the playing time to Kadayo. Yeah. Which may or may not happen. We'll see. Our next email is from Tom. Tom just provides me a link to a tweet from the Gersh. Dave Gershman. In case it wasn't already reported, the Marlins have outright released Jordani Valdespin. Team couldn't handle antics any longer, says Source. And then he asks, Is it time to hear some of the JV1 stories you couldn't tell a year or two ago? Yes. Okay, I will tell one, because I think it's mostly out there. I have a few good ones, but I think this is my... One of my favorites, just for how... Stupid it is. 
<laughs> I guess is the best way to describe it. So when he was in Binghamton, he was in Binghamton at the time, lines up. Um, he was not well liked by the locker room. I think there's a very famous, it was one of the Eric's. I think it was Neeson, maybe. No. After he hit that like walk off, I wasn't a walk off. That big home run against Papelbon a couple of years ago, like yeah. went off on him on Twitter and called and said it couldn't have happened to like a worse person. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There were there were two Eric's on that team. I can't remember which one it was. I I may be uh, confusing Eric's. Mm-hmm. Eric Neeson or uh, the other one. But anyway, so one of the I mean he rubbed a lot of that locker room the wrong way, but. So, Jean-Luc Blackier, who, unless you go really deep on Mets prospects in the Mets minor league system, you probably don't remember. I think he was the third catcher on that team, a uh, French-Canadian dude, as you might be able to tell from the name. I believe it was Blackier that was the, the victim of this. Um, had sent down, had his like family sent him a pair of like really cool, fancy baseball sunglasses as a gift. You know, as a, I think it was like a 30th round pick. It's not something he can really spend his own money on. And he wasn't the type of prospect that gets things sent to him for free. Um, so the sunglasses disappeared. And, you know, Valdezbin already not being particularly liked, got blamed for it. Um, and from my understanding is he like denied it up and down. No, 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 no. Whatever. He goes to the Arizona Fall League that year. And, you know, they have games on TV. Uh, like the MLB, I mean, MLB Network even existed at that point. It probably did, though, in some form. I don't think it was, I don't think it was on TV. But, like, a whole bunch of, like, photos came out of Valdespin at the Arizona Fall League wearing the sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so he was not the best yeah, teammate. No. And this one I like just for the juxtaposition. It may be apocryphal. Um, so there was a story going around that the first time he got sent, after he got called up, the first time he got sent back down to Vegas, the whole team was out taking BP and nobody could find Valdespin. So as the story goes, Wally goes into the locker room and Valdefin's like sitting there in street clothes, like on his phone. And <laughs> while he goes to him, you know, Jordani, it's, it's, put your clothes on. It's time to do bat. It's time to take batting practice. He's like, oh, I don't have to take batting practice anymore. I was in the majors. <laughs> you can imagine how well that went over with Wally. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. A guy like that is not that good. Is that, that cocky? Yeah. Well, there's a whole story about like having him having like Juan Lagares drive him around New York too, and that was reported by the actual New York City Press. I'm pretty sure he made Lagares. I think he made Lagares buy him a suit or something too. What? <laughs> there was a story going around with when Lagares first came up. Val just been like really did not treat him that well. And Lagares is one of those guys that coming up to the minors even now is regarded as a very very good teammate. So there it is. Your JV, well, JV1 story time. It might be the end of JV1. It might be. Our next email is from DJ. Dear Amazing Avenue Audio, what is the current health status of Rafael Montero, Jerry Blevins, Vic Black, and Eric Goodell? When are each of them currently projected to return to the Mets? And upon return, 
What is the likelihood for each to make a positive contribution to the playoff run? Many thanks, DJB in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Amazing Avenue Audio. I always, it's funny when I see, like, I often see when people link, when I do, like, a radio hit or something, and they link to the site, they write it as Amazing Avenue Audio. Amazing. Amazing, Amazing, yes. Better than my last radio hit where they introduced me as, from the uh, Bleacher Report Mets site, Amazing Avenue. (laughs) Oh. I'm just like, I'm just going to do this and not correct you. (laughs) Uh, Jerry Blevins will not be pitching for the Mets this year. As you are probably no. well aware by now, DJ, he uh, fell and re-broke his forearm. Uh, it's such a bummer, too, because he would have been a nice boost. It is a nice boost. Yeah. I really like Jerry Blevins. Yeah, it's good, dude. Eric Goodell is rehabbing. I think he's made a couple of rehab appearances at this point, or at least is throwing off a mound in Port St. Lucie. But it's elbow issues after two Tommy John surgeries, so you wonder. Yeah. Vic Black is healthy. Vic Black He's is walking bad. 16% of the batters he faces in <laughs> Vegas. I mean, he had bad walk rates in Vegas last yeah. year at 21%. And he's never going to be Bob Tewksbury, but... But he's not striking the people out either, yeah, so... It's just, it, it, I mean, he'll probably be up on September 1st for depth, but... <sighs> Rafael Montero pitched in a GCL game today, Greg. He did. Yeah, that's the thing that happened. After... Uh being threatened maybe by terry collins so here's the thing yeah look i i've i heard this now that's out there i can say it i heard that they weren't thrilled with his progress in rehab and thought he might be faking in the shoulder issue to a certain extent you don't make that public you don't do it and i get it they've had a fair amount of issues with guys guys half-assing rehab lately and there's probably some frustration there from the dudes in Port St. Lucie. And yeah. he wouldn't be the first guy to scam the Major League DL for the per diem. <laughs> but it's like, if you look at the backstory on this kid and what he had to do to get where he is now, it just doesn't add up to me. And for it's... It plays into a certain narrative I don't like. That is, you know, a player, uh, Dominican players. For them, it's just getting to the majors is the goal. You know, getting the the life changing money. And look, the system is set up so that's the way it is. But I don't like that narrative. That dude worked his ass off, and he's generally considered internally by the team to be a high makeup guy and a savvy pitcher. And I know there were no structural issues on the MRI. But that doesn't mean anything. Shoulders are tricky. And why are you submarining this relationship publicly? This isn't Frank Frank, who you have nothing invested in. And, you know, from my perspective, I've seen plenty of guys with vague shoulder issues fall apart. You know, I never heard an official diagnosis on Adrian Rosario, who you may vaguely remember as one of the, the high upside arm in the K-Rod deal. You know, Darren Gorski had vague arm issues and suddenly was down four to five miles an hour on his fastball. Basically ended his prospect status. Juan Urbina, who I don't have any information on other than a guy that looked like he was throwing with a shoulder issue. And 
And if Montero yeah, and, and, and Montero loses, if there's a shoulder issue there and he loses his velocity, he's fucked. Yeah, I mean, God forbid. I mean, if he throws through this and then he ends up hurting himself, you know, that's not going to be a good look. If he fails, he has to rush back, ramps it up, and you know, tears his labrum. You know what the Mets get to do? Meh. You know, whatever. It's he could be good, but meh. His career's over. And he has more impact potential than some of those names I just mentioned that had shoulder issues. So why not give him every opportunity to feel comfortable? You know, maybe they're right. They they should know better than me. Their guys are there on the ground. But here's the thing. They better be right. Because that's a strong accusation implicit in this. And you're giving him a reputation that, you know, in some ways is almost worse than PEDs in a pro locker room. Yeah, especially, I mean, it's not like this year, what kind of role would he play? I mean, he, he could potentially be pitch, pitching out of the bullpen, and he would have gotten, might, might gotten spot starts. Yeah, but fine. But, you know, it's not a situation where, like, they need him back desperately. No, they can let him, like, what are they, they're, yeah, you're right. They're not going to put him in the bullpen down the stretch. And look, it is kind of weird. Maybe, like, absolutely, maybe they're right. I mean, I don't know. I'm, my information on the kid is basically the coming from the same basic sources where I'm getting the information. They're not happy with his rehab, so maybe something changed. I don't know, but they better be right about this because they've he's been tagged now. They're talking about it on the broadcast, and Ronnie wasn't exactly... Ronnie danced around it a little bit, but there's a very implicit accusation there that he's dogging it. Mm. And you don't know his shoulders. Yep. And for me, I just can't help but think this is a... I don't want to say an, yeah, an overreaction, basically, to... They've had some issues in the minors this year, man random things that they they have not had great control over that system and i think this is just sort of the last straw for them and it's starting to bubble over and montero's one that has to eat it publicly that's a it's a loaded comment there yeah <laughs> i'm good at doing those yeah it's good our next email is from izzy as it stands right now, it's like nothing bad. It's just there's been a variety of things, like like stupid stuff, basically. Stuff that would frustrate your player dev guys. And I think this is just one more frustration. As it stands right now, the Mets bullpen is Familia, Clippard, Gil Martin, O'Flaherty, Parnell, Robles, and Torres. With Miguel and Montero already rehabbing. To both return to the Major League pen when they are ready. If so, who do they replace? Keep in mind that Robles and Familia are the only players they can send down without losing, and that players must be on the roster or the DL on August 31st to be eligible for the playoff roster, barring later entries. Two other questions. What should the Mets do with Parnell, and are there any August trade candidates that the team should go after? Uh, I don't... So, even if he was completely healthy, I've never liked Montero in the pen. Yeah. Particularly. And Goodell, yeah, fine. Um... If this stuff's all the way back, he looked pretty good. I don't know if that's sustainable. It was like 15 innings, 20 innings. Sort of the Logan Verrett quandary. It was 12 innings. I don't know. 
Um, I mean, you'd want to give them a shot now, I guess, so you would have them eligible for the playoffs in theory. That's the, the route you want to go. Um, and they just keep holding on to Gil Martin, and I don't get it. I guess at this point, they've held on to him for so long, they might as well just play out the string. But he's not much of a left-on-left guy. You know, you keep him through the end of the year, what are you getting? Maybe a triple-A starter next year, which, granted, as we already covered, they could probably need, but I don't see a ton of upside. You can't really just have a dead arm in your pen you're using four times in a month. Yeah, I mean, he's been not bad. It's just they have, but that is partly probably a function of the situations and who they've used him against. Um, I mean, you've you've got Clippard, who's murder on lefties you have O'Flaherty to be that loogie yeah I don't it's there's really not eh, I guess he could be a mop-up long guy I mean he's kind of a he's he's kind of a dead spot in that bullpen it's because of the way that they use him yeah Um, it's partially a function of the starting pitching going very deep recently yeah so they haven't really needed a long man but I don't know that's tricky because you think that they're going to want to hang on to him. I wonder if they have to put him... Like, Could they um, leave him off the playoff roster and still keep him? Oh, yeah. He just uh, has to, it's got to be a certain amount of... Uh, I think they could Phantom DL him at this point. And he, have enough, he has enough days that... Did you see the way I just matter-of-factly just you know, referenced the playoff roster and didn't even think twice about it? Uh, yes. see, see what's happening? See what's right, happening? I see what's happening, yeah. Yeah. Let's put it this way. If Sean Gilmartin is on the playoff roster, I will devote a whole segment to the podcast yelling about it probably <laughs> at that point. Because I'll need something to yell about. Uh, what should the Mets do with Bobby Parnell? Well, they got to... I mean, they're going to keep him. They are. That's what's <laughs> going to happen. Um, they should ramp down the leverage of the situations they use him in. Which they have. I think the last two games he's pitched in have been 8-0 and 7-1 games. So I have a question. Do we really think that he's that bad? I wouldn't trust him in is, a high leverage spot. If he is, then then you get rid of him. It'll never happen. I I, I know. But he, there's no point. He's I know a free he's a free agent. agent. I know. They should have signed him to a two-year deal and ramped him down after he had issues in rehab. We've covered this before on the show. Yes. But, I mean, whatever. It's It's really not the end of the world. Again, the pen gets shorter this time of year. Um, I mean, there are names you see. Uh, Joaquin Benoit is the most common sort of August trade candidate I've seen. I don't know if the Padres are still going for it or what. Maybe they are. It's a great yeah, mystery need, to me. You need to look at a list of, like, free agent relievers. Let's take a look at the list of free agent relievers, then. Ah. <sighs> For rumors, trade market for relievers. Uh, All right. Usually, this pops right up for because MLB trade rumors always has lists of. Yeah, that's what I want. Well, I don't think Arodis Chapman is clearing waivers. He's a team option anyway. No. Um, that's following the 2016 season. God, why are you making this difficult? MLB trade rumors. The Mets already have a lot of the free agent relievers out there. It's true. Brad Ziegler. I like Brad Ziegler. Maybe he would, he's going to cost a fortune, though. 
free agent. Probably available. Fernando Rodney. Yeah, yeah I saw Fernando. I'm not enthused by Fernando Rodney. Matt Thornton. <sighs> Matt Thornton. Don't think he's I getting believe. traded. Um, I don't know. Ziegler's not a bad. That would be a very aggressive. Darren O'Day. I'm not getting traded either. I'm trying to remember what. The problem is I also have to remember off the top of my head what teams these relievers are now on. Yeah. <laughs> and in a lot of cases, I need to be like two teams behind. Right. Because they're not moving if they're on a contender. So. All right. I, mean, I think Benoit. Ziegler's probably about, not. Ziegler, oh, they have a club option, so that's not going to happen either. Oliver Perez. I saw. Bring him home. I just can't. I, I'm <laughs> sorry. I can't watch that. I just can't do that to myself. I like, guess not mean, a bad weird. move. It isn't. Yeah. I just can't do that to myself. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I just can't. I'm sorry. Wow, he's really good against lefties. I know he is. I'm aware <laughs> of this. I just can't watch it. I can't do it. I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, it makes, I just, it's it's one of those things where as soon as it happens, it's like, oh, he's going to blow a big game down the stretch in spectacular fashion. I will not be able to get it out of my head. That's true. That's not something it just, I it's just gonna, it, That mental block will, yeah. That would be just, rough. I can't. Every single time he comes in. And he's got that weird little hitch now. Yeah, I just, I just can't. Uh, the whole aesthetic experience for my psychological health. It makes sense. He probably won't cost that much. Can't do it. Our last email is from Farouk. Hi, Jeff and co-hosts. There seems to be a sharp contrast between the Mets' spectacular young rotation and the middling position player talent in the minors, especially since many of those minor leaguers were pretty high-profile draft picks. It seems that the Mets have consistently been able to get more out of the pitching talent in their farm system with fewer flameouts. They also seem to have more pitchers and hitters developed from less heralded talents and legitimate prospects, e.g. DeGrom, Mats, and Montero. This leads me to ask, do you believe the Mets organization has a competitive edge in identifying and developing pitching prospects? If so, why do you think that is? What do you think it means for the drafting and development strategy going forward? In the past five years, it seems that the Mets have tried to compensate for weakness in position player prospects by drafting more and more position players. While it seems counterintuitive, could it be better to focus on drafting and signing more pitchers with the knowledge that they are likelier to pan out? This would allow the front office to acquire major league ready position players by trading pitchers who are approaching free agency, sort of what they did at the deadline, but at a bigger scale. Thanks as always for the podcast, and let's go Mets. Um, so all my conversations and all our site's conversations with the, sort of the people making these decisions, Paul DePest and Tommy Tannis, seems to indicate they're like their best player available. They don't really look at at pitching versus position player, maybe in broad strokes. They want to target an area where they see a, a dearth early, or maybe they'll, like they did last year, go after left-handed prep arms because they see a lot of depth there, so they want to collect as much as possible. Uh, beyond that, we're really kind of trying to read the tea leaves here. Um, they have had a lot of recent success with developing pitching prospects. I just don't know if that's a large enough sample to make any conclusions from. Yeah, and I don't know if the team would even make that kind of concession about their own development skills and then 
adjust their draft strategy accordingly. It just seems like some that would be uh, too much, too self-aware. Uh, or if if it was a thing, I think it's sort of easy to say like Worth and Slider here too, which I think is an oversimplification. Yeah. Um. And they've, I mean, they the, have they've, done a good job. I mean, right. look at all the pitching that they were able to trade this year at the deadline to get major league hitters. Yeah. Um, and I will say they've had it among – again, my, my longitudinal knowledge here isn't as strong as it is sort of just internally with the Mets. But it feels like the Alderson front office specifically has had a lot of high-end – pitching prospects to work with, relatively speaking. You know, they came in here and Harvey had just been drafted. A top 10 pick. You know, they specifically traded for Wheeler and Syndergaard, who were top 50-ish prospects when they traded for them. You know, Familia had made you know, made a top 100 list. It was considered, you know, an arm to watch, certainly even when he was in Savannah. You know, Matt's is a, a little weirder story, but he was still, a, I think, slightly overslot second round pick yeah they haven't really fucked up any of the uh higher end prospects that they've right had and like Degrom's sort of the one real outlier here i mean syndergaard and and harvey have both gotten better at the major league level but not to the to the extent that jacob Degrom has and i just don't know if you can you know cast a strategy out of jacob Degrom. <laughs> No, I'm like a big believer. I mean, one. I think that you're on board too. That you know, Worthen is, you know, one of the best pitching coaches in the league. Yeah, and they have good pitching coaches up and down the system too. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not saying there isn't a sort of process in place to use with these arms. I think there very clearly is. Um, but I don't do know. You, this, do you you're think not that like, it's not like a pixie dust kind of thing? Well, do you think that it is it that pitchers are more coachable because the the talent that's there you know whether it's you know it's arm strength basically is more moldable than it is to teach a guy to take a walk or hit home runs i mean they've look the guys the position players they've targeted in the draft have all had the approach there they've been they were looking for as amateur talents and have developed that approach further in the professional ranks. Yeah, they haven't drafted like this toolsy guy. Like they can't, they can't take Ivan Wilson and make him into a prospect. No, you know? but it's you know that, yeah, it's little, that happens all over the place. Yeah, it's, it's not. But it, but it hasn't happened for them in, at, at all. Like no, they haven't really anyone. had like a a toolsy position player breakout yet. Right. Um, and. Uh, the top end talent they're bringing in is not particularly toolsy. I mean, Rosario would be the closest, I guess, but even he, again, it's he's more of a baseball player than a lot of other, you know, teenage Dominican talents out there. Uh, maybe Becerra. I don't know if that works long term. Yeah. Um. Yeah, if you have the the guys I like from sort of their recent IFA classes, where you might see more of a, where you really have to see sort of a tools based evaluation, you know, Carpio 
is really just a polished baseball player that's incredible mm-hmm. for his age. You know, Ali Sanchez has a ton of feel. There's not big tools there. So I think they've actually gone in the, you know, in the uh, towards the other extreme for the most part when it comes to position players. You know, outside of Nimmo, you know, their top end high school picks, Chikini, Smith, and Conforto were not toolsy really in the traditional sense. You know, Desmond Lindsay, more in that direction probably. Yeah. But again, not like a top t- top half of the first round pick. They've approached the second and third round differently. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the overarching point here. Um, I just don't think, again, it's, when it comes down to it, it's four drafts. I mean, five drafts, but really only four drafts. We don't have any usable information on the last three, probably. Yeah, so... it's still not a big enough sample size at five to really get a feel for how they should, if they should at all start to point their drafting and development. Yeah. I think in I mean, the end you just gotta get talent. Yeah. I mean they have a guy they have guys on their way. I mean Ploiecki's already there. You got Nimo on the verge, Conforto's already there, you got Chikini. I mean there's there's hitters coming up. Uh not not game changing talent, but major league contributors on the way. Those are your emails. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And of course, now it is time for us to move on to our IFK Gothenburg update. Mm-hmm. They got back to business in the Allsvenskan Liga with a 6-0 win over Orobro at home this past weekend. Nice. They're still topped by two points over Jugarden with Elfsburg looming four back with the game in hand. And Malmo away this Sunday, which is a very tough matchup, despite the defending champs' struggles so far this season. I'm not counting them out. I think it's like five points back, but I'm not. They can get back in it with a win. We don't want to see that. While they do fight for the Elfsvenskan League title, they will no longer have to contend with the Europa League qualifying, unfortunately. Belenenses came to town today and did what they had to do. They saw out a 0-0 draw that put them through on goal difference. So all you can really do is uh, off your cap, I think. You know, Gamlu Ulevi is a tough place to play. So congrats to our listener, Marco, and the Blues from Restrello, who will move on in the Europa League qualifier. This is More- bullshit. <laughs> I guess, yeah, there's no, like, they don't even, they're, they're not even, like, allowed to tweet play-by-play, I think. Because I got no information other than Anders, like, basically telling me the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> And they did what you'd expect. They played very tight. They packed the box, kept everything the formations tight, and just time-wasting in the second half. They did what they had to do. The championship kicks off this weekend, Greg. Sheffield Wednesday against Bristol City. It's on BN Sports Connect, which is BN Sports Internet Streaming Service. I won't be able to watch it with my New York Owls. I pick up my wife at the airport. Ah, those damn spouses. I know. Wednesday have uh, added, they've literally now signed a full squad of players this offseason, which is shocking. They added uh, Royce Wiggins from Charlton. 
Um, you know, sort of your proven fullback at this level. I think he'll be more of a squad player, but he also shores up left back where it's just uh, Jeremy Alon right now. Well, all right, so let's circle back to the beginning of the show. Yeah. Have your expectations for Wednesday gotten to the point where it's playoff or bust? No, it hasn't. I just think okay. soccer is different. They have so many new players in the squad and a new coach. It's going to take some time to gel. Um, do I think they can compete for a playoff spot? Yes, I think they have enough talent on the field to do that. But it is about sort of getting familiar, being able to execute. It's a new formation. You're integrating. I mean, you have probably four to five regular starters from last year's team still there. Uh, you know, the, the spine's going to be very similar. It'll be uh, Kieran Westwood in goal, Lees and Leuven's as the center back, probably Eddie Newhue up front, um, Lewis McGugan, who had two loan spells last year. In the center, uh, either Jose Semedo, Sam Hutchinson, or uh, Felipe Melo on a central defensive midfield position. So they've really made the changes on the wings for the most part. Um, and, with the, and with sort of the depth. So we'll see how it all comes together. Um, and the championship's always a weird league, too. It's a tough league to get out of. Um, I like what, the, what they've done. I think it might take two years to sort of fully realize it. But we'll see. I'm excited. It's going to be, a, a, if anything, it's going to be a more enjoyable brand of football to watch, probably. But that doesn't mean anything, you know, if they're bad. It's not yeah. being enjoyable very quickly if they're losing 4-3 every week. That is true, yeah. But they added a, a, a Champions League-tested midfielder from Ooh. Marseille. The Senegalese Papapate Amadou Mamadou Pamadou Adou Dusugu. You just made that up. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> It's pretty I mean, good job. Good for Marseille. The last winger they got from Marseille was pretty good. So All if right. he can be half the player that uh, Chris Waddle was, it'd be quite the signing. It's just so weird. They signed a player from Marseille who's played in the Champions League, and he's not like I mean he's thirty, so he's probably slightly on the downside of his career. But I'm sure he can still do a job. Yeah, he's probably he's got that Champions League class. Yeah. So I guess they had uh, who did they have uh, Royston Drenthe last year who played for who Real Madrid like paid fair money for and he played for Ajax too at some point um, and he was actually really really good and then he like wandered off to Turkey because they gave him a lot of money wandered or China Turkey or China I don't remember but he looked like absolute class when he could be bothered to play so that's your soccer update for the week we'll now move on to our uh, live podcast plug Greg yeah. We announced it this morning on the site. I'm sure Pitch Talks will be sending out more stuff about it forthwith. But uh, our next live show will be September 17th at 7 p.m. at the Catch Brewery in Astoria. Right off the uh, 30th Ave, I think 30th, or 30th Ave station on the N. Be myself, Greg, and special guests Toby Hyde and Maggie Wigan of Metzblog. And it'll sort of be a. Uh, Minor league season wrap up. There'll be plenty of prospect chat as well. If that's not enough enticement, there'll also be uh, panels with Mark Carrig and Anthony DeComo, as well as Ed Coleman and Pete McCarthy. And there will be beer. And there will be beer. 
And Greg, by the way, is just absolutely thrilled to be on stage and doing this. I'm so excited. Just thrilled. If you can tell. Three more details coming out about that. Uh, Tickets go on sale tomorrow morning. But we do have one last thing to dispose of before we wrap up the show, Greg. Yeah. So longtime followers of my work may know that I... uh, very attached to oh and to a certain extent made my reputation on oh no one josh satin so yesterday josh satin was released by the Uh, cincinnati reds no longer a member of the louisville bats brutal brutal this is age 30 season i didn't even realize that yeah man i know he was like a 50 year senior when he signed but and to quote Ronnie, I think misquoting Connor Oberst, like he did on the podcast, you know, eventually the calendar betrays us all. Though at the rate the Mets are bringing back like 30-year-old dudes to play in double A, he might have a chance. It's true. He could help uh, He could help the B-Mets get to a championship. I'd like to see him come back. No, he wasn't hitting that well. No, he wasn't hitting great. No, actually. Yeah. Cut the K rate down, but it was it was very Josh Satney without just like you know forty points of Babbitt basically. He was the most difficult player to watch bat I've ever had to deal with. It's a it's so passive. It would. It's a weird level of commitment to that approach. He was like going into every at bat with the mindset, "I'm going to take five <laughs> pitches." It is, and he like he. Somehow got to the majors doing that with literally no tools. Yeah. Because his approach was that good. And I really, get, like, trust me, I get that it was incredibly yeah, was frustrating good. to watch. I remember he had a pinch hit at bat when I was up watching him in the uh, the spring training games against Toronto in the Sky Dome. Like, he literally took six consecutive pitches. Like, worked at the 3-2 then struck out looking on a pitch on the corner. <laughs> That's a Josh Bass. It's, like, it's like, how do you, like, I just don't understand when he made it work played in the majors for a few years probably able to coach as long as he wants but this might be the end of the line it's very sad also yeah. I can't believe that Ron Darling is a better aging hipster than I am he lives in Brooklyn and goes to brunch more than I do it's like a whole New York Times article about him going to brunch really Oh yeah, you can look it up. It's like one of their like weekend. What do you do on the weekend? Kind of things, like a little oh. profile thing. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah, he goes yeah. to some like well-known brunch place in like Greens Point, I think. Ron Darling's piece of sky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. It's the New York Times, man. I don't have to tell you. The Times is on it. Aging hipster goes to brunch, and the Times is on it. Well, while Greg reads that, I will wrap up the show for this week. Yeah, Mets are good. But I don't know what to do with that information either. But whatever happens between now and the next show, hopefully the Mets continue to win. We'll be talking about it on another edition of Amazing Avenue Audio.